Today's episode of The Metrospective is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to another edition of the Metrospective. Pete McCarthy along with Tim Britton, our 66th episode. We have named it for one Jerry Grody, the terrific catcher on the 1969 Mets. Uh, Tim, the Panic City meter has returned here as Noah Syndergaard needs Tommy John surgery. He'll have it on Thursday at the Hospital for Special Surgery in Florida. That ends his 2020 season before it even begins. It compromises its 2021. Uh, Let's just stick with the near term. If this season does eventually get underway, Tim, what kind of damage does this news do to the Mets' high hopes going into this season? I mean, it's it's self-evident that this is one of the worst injuries that the Mets could have in 2020. Not just that it's a, a Tommy John surgery, but that it's to the guy who's going to be their number two starter. And one of the guys who was going to be in the rotation, not just this year, but next year as well, uh, when they have a, a bit more uncertainty in the rotation. Uh, for, for 2020, uh, you know, what, what looked like it was going to be the Mets' biggest advantage, their their biggest kind of marginal advantage in the starting rotation with DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman at the top, with a guy like Michael Waka as your sixth starter, at a time when we're thinking there might be a condensed schedule in the second, when this season starts, there might be double headers. Having six legit starters might be more valuable this year than ever before. Uh, the Mets lose all that. You know, now you're talking about uh, Marcus Stroman. That's a reasonable number two starter, I think, in, in most people's minds. But you know, having Mats, Rick Porcello, and Michael Waka as your three, four, five doesn't feel nearly as as much of a strength to your rotation as it was when they were four, five, six. Uh, so I, I think, you know, what, what looked to be the, the kind of linchpin of this team going into 2020 uh, can't be counted on in the same way as, as it could have 24 hours ago. And the timing of it is just, I, I think, what catches people so far off guard and so is frustrating. You wouldn't think anything could go wrong when baseball has officially, essentially been canceled for the last two weeks, and yet Syndergaard apparently had discomfort in his elbow at the very end of spring training. The Mets were apparently aware of this, according to general manager Brody Van Wagenen, but for fans, I, this seemingly came out of nowhere. Looking back on it, were there any signs that something might have been wrong for Syndergaard? Yeah, I mean, when when I found out yesterday, I found out because you, you and our, our producer, Adam, texted about, well, we're doing a podcast on, on Wednesday morning, I suppose, uh, in response to this. And I was like, uh-oh, I've got to I've gotta walk back over, open up Twitter and see what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I, you look back, I mean, he was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour with his fastball. His slider was a little bit down in terms of velocity from where it was at its peak, but it was like that for much of last season as well. Uh, so it, there was nothing really in his arsenal that made you think he, he was compromised in any way. You know, he was a little moodier the last week of spring training, but 
that you know that happens to guys throughout the course of a season I think it'd be uh, kind of retrofitting to say that this is why uh, so you know it, it's it it really is you, you thought you would have escaped all of that kind of news uh, you know this isn't like when Zach Wheeler had it in spring of 2015 when you know there was kind of the build-up for a couple days to, to whether he was going to need it or not uh, or Matt Harvey in, in 2013 late 2013 uh, so it you know it it's just terrible news, completely out of the blue uh, for Mets fans. No, it's uh, it's frustrating. It's tough, as you mentioned. It affects more than just this season in 2020. You're looking at 2021, and then Syndergaard is scheduled to become a free agent at that point. And we, we can get into some of that a, a little bit later on here. Uh, but for for Syndergaard, what kind of expectations did you have for him going into this season? Considering he finished last year so poorly and really struggled with whether it's the new baseball, but that slider, for the most part last year, was was not that pitch. So, you know, is it fair to say, hey, this was going to be the second banana to Jacob deGrom, or was there a little bit more mystery to Syndergaard where maybe this doesn't sting as much as it might initially appear? I mean, the, there was a little mystery con- considering he was coming off the worst season of his career, uh, and a, a year where he wasn't the kind of dominant pitcher that he had been at times in the past. And look, we, we know he hasn't been uh, the real top of the rotation guy since 2016. Uh, he pitched well when healthy in 2017, but that was basically a month. Uh, and then 2018, uh, he just never, I think the numbers were better than what he looked like on the mound uh, with an ERA just about three. Uh, but again, missed some time for various strange reasons over the course of that season. Uh, you know, I, I think there was reason to believe uh, that he was going to be better than last season. The slider looked better in spring training. Uh, you know, he talked about feeling more comfortable in his delivery, which since I started covering this team in 2018 has been kind of a, a constant bugaboo for him. He's constantly said that he doesn't feel uh, right in his delivery, and he's always been trying to tinker with things. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think there was plenty of reason to say, okay, th- this guy's ERA is is going to be better than it was last season when it started with a four. I don't know if you would say he's going to be what he was in 2016, that he's going to be a guy who uh, gets Cy Young votes or anything like that. Uh, but uh, you know, when you're when you're building out a best case scenario for the 2020 Mets, a lot of it was going to be that. You know, they would win games Jacob deGrom started in a way they haven't in the last two years, and that Noah Syndergaard is going to look better than he did in 2019. Uh, and now that the second one of those is out the window. Yeah, I mean, clearly, and to kind of answer my own question, to me with Syndergaard, and to some degree this Mets team, it's about ceiling, right? It's about what can happen for this team if everything goes right. And we've talked about this with Syndergaard for a couple of seasons now, but he has the ability, maybe not be a Cy Young Award winner like we thought initially, but to be like I put it, a second banana to Jacob deGrom, a second number one type starter. And now, obviously, that's out the window uh, looking at this 2020 season. Now, now we talked a little bit about short term and how this was a surprise that Syndergaard needs Tommy John surgery. But you look at the bigger picture, and I would guess that there is a section of Mets fans that sat there and say, yeah, this was just a matter of time. Uh, where you look around baseball and so many of these hard throwers and someone like Noah Syndergaard who built up his body in 2017 with the idea of trying to throw well over 100 miles per hour and he paid the price for that with the torn lat. Uh, He is someone that 
it's kind of gone a different direction than Jacob DeGrom. And David Peterson, uh, the former Mets pitching coach, talked about this. Uh, Rick Peterson, I should say, uh, the former Mets pitching coach, talked about this. I, I saw an SNY with John Harper that, you know, DeGrom has gone about being more athletic, whereas Syndergaard has been more about building strength. And while there was a learning experience after he tore his lat, he's still the kind of guy that you look at and say, that's a dangerous spot. I mean, Syndergaard's been on one of these short lists for pitchers that you wonder, well, will he eventually need Tommy John? Just like people have been saying for a long time with Chris Sale, and now Sale in the, the same situation after after many, many years. So long term, I, I suppose maybe this isn't such a, such a surprise. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise when any pitcher needs Tommy John surgery at this point. Fair. You know, uh, like you, you mentioned DeGrom. I mean, DeGrom is a guy who had it shortly into his career as a pitcher, you know, shortly after being drafted uh, by the Mets. It's... It's hard. I'm not going to pretend to know like what the. I know throwing hard is the biggest risk factor. Uh, you're not going to get people to stop throwing 98 miles an hour in order to try to preserve their arm long term. That's just not going to happen in this competitive environment. So, uh, you know, it's not. It's certainly not a surprise that Noah Syndergaard at some point in his career would need Tommy John surgery. Uh, it was a surprise that it was right now. Uh, and it's bad timing for both him and the Mets that it's right now. Uh, but you know, I, I know there there are plenty of people who look at you know, the these supposed five ace pitchers that the Mets had uh, at in around 2015 when it was Degrom, Syndergaard, Harvey, Wheeler, and Mats, and that they barely got a chance to ever pitch in the same rotation. That all five of them now have undergone Tommy John surgery, but. I think that it, that's not unusual. You look like the Nationals' starting rotation. I think four of the five have needed Tommy John surgery, and Corbin and Strasburg and Anibal Sanchez and and uh, Joe Ross. You know their sixth starter, Eric Fetty, had Tommy John surgery. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not like this is. I don't think it's something that's developmentally wrong with the Mets, outside of the fact that they have a lot of good pitchers who throw hard, uh, and that. Uh, this isn't like a Generation K kind of thing. I've seen people compare it to Generation K, and it's like, wow. come on, like, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you've gotten two Cy Youngs out of this yeah. group, you've gotten a pennant out of this group, you've gotten some All Star seasons out of other guys in this group, you've got a nine figure contract for a guy out of this group. Uh, you know, Bill Pulse for Paul Wilson, Jason Isringhausen did do some nice things in the major leagues, but let's not pretend that any of them uh, have have been starters on the level that most of these guys have been. So no, it's, uh, I, I Isringhausen had a good career as a closer, particularly after he left the Mets. And I understand he eventually came back, but you can't look at Pulsifer and Wilson and say that they've sniffed what guys in this rotation have done. We're going to say Mats has done the least, I suppose. Then I mean, I'd still take Mats over either Wilson or Pulsifer, what they accomplished in their entire careers. Yeah. So I, I think you've got to have perspective. I, I think my, uh, I've said this on Twitter before. My unpopular take is that the Mets have actually done quite well in developing this group of pitchers that you've gotten. I mean, you've taken someone who who wasn't supposed to be very good in DeGrom. It was a, a ninth round pick and who had TJ early in his minor league developmental track and turned him into the best pitcher in baseball. Uh you know, you've had, you've taken Syndergaard, who wasn't necessarily this stud prospect when they got him. He wasn't the top part of that trade uh, with Toronto. Uh, you know, he was a guy kind of in line with I think Justin Nicolino was uh, the other. Was was he the pitcher? Who was the the, the pitcher in the Toronto system uh, that they were also talking about? Uh, and and Syndergaard obviously was the better option there. 
you know, Matz was a guy who looked like he was a lost cause early in his developmental track because he was was injured so often uh, right out of high school. So uh, I think they've done pretty well to get as much at the major league level as they have out of this group. It, it sucks that it hasn't happened at the same time. Uh, they also had four of them in there at the same time pitching extremely well in 2015 and rode it to a World Series. Uh, so let's not pretend like it's never lined up pretty well for them. Uh, so I, I, I think it's important to have perspective that Tommy John surgery is just something that happens everywhere for pitchers anywhere. So, so long term, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of everybody, but it does, it does feel like it's the higher velocity guys are at a greater risk, right? I mean, knuckleballers oh, uh, yeah, aren't definitely. going through this you know. all the time, and I know that's kind of a weak example, but like, you know, if you're throwing 100 miles per hour, if you're throwing max effort every pitch like Noah Syndergaard, it certainly seems to put you in a more at-risk category, and, you know, clearly this was Syndergaard's mindset and the way that he attacked uh, that particular position. Now, you know, another option I'll throw out there, and you mentioned they'll go to Waka, Porcello, and Steven Matz in those back three spots in the rotation. Uh, but Seth Lugo, I mean, here's another guy <laughs> with a partially torn ulnar collateral ligament. But you consider that he has some time to get stretched out now, and we assume there will be at least a three- to four-week spring training period again. Uh, I would think it would be realistic to stretch him out and have Lugo as a potential option in this rotation. Yeah, so I'd have two questions about the the feasibility of that. One is, I don't know uh, kind of physically how healthy it is for a guy in Lugo's position to have ramped it up a, a decent amount in the offseason mm-hmm. uh, with the idea for part of that offseason that he was going to be a starter. Uh, and then kind of cutting it back to a reliever workload at the start of a first spring training and then trying to ramp it up again uh, in this, you know, we talked about this indefinite period of delay uh, to become a starter again. I, I don't know if that's, if you can do that physically and not feel uh, after effects of it. Well, Tim, if, if your attitude is that they break, they break, <laughs> then, you know, like, like seriously, you said before, he's a pitcher, so he's at risk with Noah Syndergaard. So if that's the game, then... I, and how careful can you be? If Masahiro Tanaka has pitched with a partially torn UCL for the last three or four seasons, mostly without issue. So uh, it, it's kind of, you're almost damned if you damned if you don't. You don't want to be stupid. I understand that. But you got to do what you got to do to try to win some ball games here. Right. I, I'm not I'm not saying that. Uh, that I, I just don't know uh, whether that's okay for a guy physically. Uh, you know, I, I would have the same question about Robert Gazelman. Uh, you know, it's not because of Lugo's partially torn UCL. It, it's because of the back and forth. Is it fine for a guy to do that? You know, they, they talk. You don't want guys bouncing back and forth between the rotation, and the bullpen during a season. I don't know if it's okay in this instance if you're just prepping them for a shorter season. If that's fine physically, I don't know. Uh, and then uh, I think I'd have to have a better sense of what the schedule is going to be like because if I'm if I'm transitioning Seth Lugo into being a starter right now I want him to be a starter for the season that we're having coming up uh, and so if there are uh, if players are as open to double headers as I'm reading in Jason Stark in the athletic on Wednesday saying they are uh, and you're going to be playing seven eight games every week well then it, it makes sense because you're going to need that sixth starter on a consistent basis 
uh, then I like the idea of, of making that six starter someone you know is good, uh, someone you know can handle the load uh, in Seth Lugo. Um, but if, if we're playing kind of a normal schedule uh, just over a shorter period of time, then I, I don't see the point in taking one of your best bullpen guys and throwing him uh, as your depth starter. Uh, no, because a- I still think... I still think you would you wouldn't move Seth Lugo ahead of someone like Michael Waka uh, at this point. If someone else gets hurt, yeah, absolutely, Lugo becomes more of an option. Uh, and if if there are a lot of double headers in whatever they're planning for this season, yeah, I think he's an option. But at this point, I, I just there's a couple of questions that I don't know the answer to. Yeah, it's a good point. You have to find out how this schedule is going to look before you start to strategize for it. And and there's more that we don't know. And, and another aspect of this that will affect the bigger picture for both Noah Syndergaard and the Mets that I think is really interesting right now. Look, it's possible there is no 2020 baseball season. I think we all hope, uh, obviously, that there is. But the nature of this global pandemic, I mean, as we know, locally in New York it's going to hit sooner rather than later but then other parts of the country they may not hit their peak until later on into the spring maybe even the summer in some areas so getting over the curve as it were and I know everyone's talking about flattening it but you have to get past that as well it could take a lot of time in different areas of the country where there are major league baseball teams so I don't think anyone has much of an idea as to whether or not there will be baseball at all over the course of this season and then there's that question of how will it affect service time for these players because we're looking at it right now and saying well Syndergaard won't pitch in 2020 he'll have an abbreviated 2021 where he may not come back until midway through the season even if he does come back earlier he'll have some kind of innings limit on him and then he'll become a free agent and walk away and the Mets will never see him at 100% again but depending on what they do with this service time for what might be a lost season uh, who knows? Maybe Syndergaard has to wait until after 2022 uh, in order to become a free agent. And, and that throws a whole other wrinkle into all of this for both the Mets and Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, I was, I was reading Ken Rosenthal in The the Athletic on Wednesday, uh, and he, he had written that, you know, th- this service time conversation has been going on between the union uh, and MLB for a few weeks now. Uh, and they've, they've kind of reached a, a point where... Uh, if, if there is a season, they've figured it out. You know, Mookie Betts is a guy who's got 102. Uh, he needs 102 more days to reach free agency. You know, if the season's only 70 days, 80 days, uh, and he's there for all of it, they're going to count that for a full season. He's going to get to free agency. Uh, they, they've reached that kind of consensus that makes sense. Uh, if the season's canceled, then who knows? Because, you know, using the example of Betts, uh, could you imagine being a Dodgers fan who traded for Mookie Betts and they decide, ah, you know, we're going to give him the service time for 2020. You never see him in a regular season game for you. Mm. Um, so you under, and you know, if you're, if you're a player in that instance, you also understand like, why should I have to go an entire other season and uh, one more year of my life of this finite period of time when I'm a player that I could make money uh, and have to push that back again. Uh, so you understand both sides of it uh, if the season is canceled. And it could get pretty messy and complicated. Uh, so that's that's something that, that we'll have to monitor over the next couple of weeks and, and certainly would change how, how a Mets fan feels about this, probably. Uh, you know, it, 
then it becomes kind of good timing for for someone to go, undergo Tommy John surgery. Oh, like have it when the have it in a year where there's no season, uh, and and come back in in 2021 and and have an extra year on top of that in 2022. Uh, because if if it is if the, if this is kind of a usual thing, if we were starting the season on Thursday, uh, and and Syndergaard was going to be out for, you've got to think, you know, it's 12 to 18 months. The the quickest he would be back is opening day 2021, and that's really a best-case scenario uh, and one that I, I wouldn't anticipate happening. I think you're talking, you know, usually I think if a guy has it in spring training, you think maybe by the all-star break of the next season is when he's he's back to normal, and anything you get before that is kind of gravy. Uh, and so I think that's the more realistic look at 2021 uh, is you're getting maybe half a season out of Noah Syndergaard, uh, regardless of what happens the rest of this season. And as you talk about those negotiations between the union and Major League Baseball and the owners and the commissioner's office, it's a good thing over these last couple of years they've developed such trust so that way they could really <laughs> go to the table during a, a crisis time in our country and you know just hammer it out nice and simple. Yeah, I mean this this will be kind of the the setting for the the, the kind of precursor to the 2021 labor dynamic and you, you hope maybe because it's it's such a you know this isn't a baseball issue that that's cropping up here this is a a global thing that they they come with a little bit more perspective and, and aren't quite as selfish on either side uh as they potentially well, I mean, could I, be I, we just saw a play out in and, congress over uh, the course of the last <laughs> week I, I mean i i can't say that i expect suddenly you know the owners and the players here to hey let's throw everything out the window and and this will be no problem i mean this could be you know again Another issue where there's a lack of trust and, um, you know, those feelings of resentment that have been there in the past, particularly from the player side, I think, uh, most recently in in what's happened over the last couple of years and since the last CBA, this stuff hurts when you you need people to come together. Um, So, yeah, look, who knows what direction this goes. The one one other interesting thing I want to bring up, and and this is – you'd have to figure out what the service time calculation is before you talk about this more in depth. But, you know, I wonder if you're looking at a situation where you're only expecting half a season out of Syndergaard next year. I I think you still tender him a contract this off season for about 10 million. You know, he's set to make $9.7 million this year. Uh, We'll see how much of that gets prorated based on how much of a season they play. Uh, And then I think, because of the quality of pitcher he is, you tender him a contract this offseason worth about that amount. But I wonder uh, if Syndergaard would be more open to a longer-term arrangement. And, and maybe that's you come to him in this offseason and say, hey, we'll give you two years at $20 million or something. Because we're only going to get a certain amount of you this year. Uh, you probably have to go higher than $20 million. Uh, We're only going to get a certain amount of you in, in 2021. Then why don't you come back here, have your kind of pillow year in 2022, mm. still hit free agency at a, a young age. Uh, and, you know, if, if everything blows up on him in, in 2021, the way it did for Zach Wheeler, for instance, and you, you have to miss most of that second season, you've got a little bit more financial security for yourself. Uh, so I, I wonder if that's one way to kind of uh, to turn this into something slightly positive for you is is getting a little bit more control of of Noah Syndergaard. Maybe you know I would assume when something like this happens to a player, your openness to an extension changes, uh, especially if it's a shorter term one that allows you to hit yeah. free agency still at a, a young age. No, I I think that makes some sense, but you have to have a player that I think that that wants to be there and feels that's the best situation to rebuild value. 
Syndergaard has been outspoken at times. We saw last year when they played the the game in Syracuse before opening day. Syndergaard was the one who, I I, I suppose, stuck up for the players in in saying that uh, it was unfair what they were doing. And if the the players were doing it, it would be knocked. But because it's for ownership or for the Mets to promote a a new AAA team in Syracuse, then obviously it's something that they have to do. How would you describe Syndergaard's relationship with the Mets franchise as a whole? Is it positive enough that, yeah, he'd be willing to do that here with the Mets? You know, when I, I talked to him about contract stuff last year, he he said, the, the, you know, early last year, it was around the time when, when Aaron Nola and Luis Severino were signing their extensions. Uh, and, and I think some people thought that, that those were blueprints for Syndergaard. He, he was going to make a lot more in any extension they talked about by that point than those guys did. Um, and he, he said, you know, I'm always open if, if someone wants to talk about something, but I'm also pretty willing to bet on myself in free agency, to bet on myself over the next couple of years to get to free agency. And so I think he was, he's looking forward to, like, like any player, looking forward to, to seeing how the market values him uh, and seeing what he can do out there. I, I'm sure uh, if you have been a teammate of Zach Wheeler's over the last couple of years and you saw what the market was like for him, your eyes light up a little bit. Uh, especially if you're like Noah Syndergaard, a guy who people around the industry think could be more than you are with the Mets because of your stuff. Uh, that's kind of what the, the consensus was on Wheeler and why multiple teams were willing to go nine figures for him. Uh, so, I, you know, this changes kind of that perspective. You, you don't want to be going into free agency as someone who is has maybe 10 starts over a two-year period. Uh, and, and you don't know how you you looked in those 10 starts or, or whatever, uh, and you might be needing to sign that one-year pillow deal somewhere. It, it, you know, I'm sure there would be interest in Noah Syndergaard at that point, uh, regardless of how the next two years go. Uh, and, and maybe he's a guy who looks at what, you know, he mentioned Garrett Cole a few times in spring training as, huh, you know, looking at what he did going from a two-seam to a four-seam guy, certainly eye-opening. Maybe he's a guy who says, oh, you know, the Astros sure seem to, to, to figure that out with Garrett Cole. Maybe I want to spend my one year there trying to do that uh, and go into, go into free agency on a, a high note like that. Uh, but I don't, I don't think his relationship is such with the Mets that it's a slam dunk that he would want to do it here, but I don't think it's a slam dunk he wouldn't either. Um, I, th- I think he's an outspoken guy, and he would be that way in any organization. The Mets just give yeah. him a little bit more opportunity to do it. As long as SNY doesn't trade him to the Yankees again, I think uh, Syndergaard will be uh, will be okay. Um, all right, so one more aspect of this Tommy John surgery, the fact that Syndergaard is having it on Thursday at the hospital for special surgery in Florida, and we're at a time of crisis in this country where hospital beds are in need. Uh, this you know pandemic hasn't hit the point where the hospitals are overloaded, but there are many, many people putting elective surgeries on hold. And this seems like another example of an athlete, uh, a celebrity, uh, someone you know cutting the line for a Tommy John surgery that, yes, is imperative for Noah Syndergaard's career, but would certainly appear to be elective. And, and yet, I, I suppose this doesn't quite fall under that umbrella that I, I guess common sense would would tell you it falls under. Yeah, so I think there's a couple different takes on this. Uh, you know, Mike Puma at the New York Post reported that that because it's a, a, a acute tear that it, it does fall under essential guidelines. 
Jared Diamond from the Wall Street Journal said that it's basically up to the doctor to decide to define what is essential and what isn't. Uh, and I, I think it's it's awfully difficult from an objective point of view to say that uh, a torn UCL is a is an essential surgery because it's it's not even like a, a torn ACL. You know, if you tear your ACL, you can't really walk for a while. Uh, and I think leaving that creates more long-term damage if, if you go three months without without surgery on something like that. Whereas a UCL, I mean, my understanding is if, like, me or you were to tear our UCL tomorrow, we wouldn't necessarily need surgery because we're not throwing a projectile at 98 miles an hour for a living. Well, speak um, for yourself. <laughs> so uh, I think that... Uh, it, it, from an objective point of view, it's, it's kind of hard to see why this is essential. I, I, my understanding is that the Hospital for Special Surgery in West Palm, where he's having this, is not exactly a place that's built to handle uh, coronavirus cases as is. Uh, you would certainly hope that we're trying to retrofit places like that, considering we're, trying, we're talking about doing that to like the Javits Center in New York. Uh, but uh, it, it is one of those, you understand why Syndergaard wants to have it as quickly as possible. It certainly changes his, his long-term earnings outlook uh, if he's able to have it now and come back in 2021 versus if he has to delay it for months at a time for months now and miss all of next season. Uh, but it, it does raise another question about uh, kind of the inequality of treatment during a, a health crisis. Tim, tournaments have been canceled, leagues suspended, and there hasn't been a live game on TV for what feels like a year. And uh, yeah, we're, we're feeling all that, even though it's barely been more than a week right now, and there's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. Now, one of the good things here, The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, and in these very strange, uncertain times, they're still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Reporters like you, Tim. You know, I read a story this week about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now. Uh, I read about how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair because that release caught me off guard. And I need to plan for my fantasy football season since that's the only thing that's, that's operating as usual. Or how, you know, I read about minor league baseball players getting financial support from their big league counterparts. And also, since I, I regularly reread my own work, I read about how Jacob deGrom was unearthed by Mets scouts, how, why they believed in Pete Alonso when other teams didn't, or more recently, why Andres Jimenez had the best spring training in Mets camp. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot. Tim's always writing, and I, I read a story about Babe Ruth, and if he had the Spanish flu and it turned into a story about a, a sports writer who was covering the Red Sox back then who succumbed uh, to that epidemic a, a century ago. So, look, there's always terrific stuff from The Athletic, and it can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, the sports you love. So sign up now. See for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. Go to theathletic.com slash LGM. You can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draws all the sports, those don't go away. So again, go to theathletic.com slash LGM for 40% off an annual subscription, and we will see you there. And I suppose it is a little different if you were to say have it in New York while this is happening in the moment versus Florida, which, um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, is a place that seems to be a little behind the curve, at least as far as the, the positive coronavirus tests go. Uh, but I, I know the cases are steadily rising there as well. So 
Um, yeah, that, that's a story for Noah Syndergaard here. Uh, let's look ahead. Uh, next week, we'll have uh, another retrospective for you. It'll be our 67th, and this is kind of another slam dunk, Tim, as we get higher up in these numbers. And there's only one Met that has ever worn the number 67, and it is one Seth Lugo. Makes perfect sense. We talked about him all episode. Uh, maybe we'll have more in, inside info by that point. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Just the, the way news leaks out uh, of the Mets these days, uh, it, it's it's either a, a big story coming out of the blue or nothing uh, at this point. So ho- hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have plenty of things to talk about. We, we always I'll have lots of takes on Seth Lugo because he should be in this Mets rotation, <laughs> and we'll talk about that uh, next podcast dropping on uh, on Tuesday. Usually this podcast, the second of the week, would drop Friday morning, but emergency podcast with uh, the Noah Syndergaard news dropping uh, on Tuesday. But uh, we'll have that for you coming up. Uh, for Tim Britton, I'm Pete McCarthy. We appreciate you listening. Adios, Pete.